we are in a series that we called, and you can say it there, you can put it in the chat, Up in Smoke, right? And we're talking about what do you do when things go up in smoke? This is kind of an idiom. It's, it's a phrase that we use that expresses essentially the finality of something that didn't go the way we hoped. It didn't go the way we planned. And we've talked about this for several weeks. And uh, I wanted to finish I wanted to finish strong. I want to finish. This, this message was really the second one that I started writing when I started writing the series, but I put it at the end because this one is about recovering well. This one is about getting life back and getting your stuff back. And, and so I want to invite you to go with me, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel. And if you're home, grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me. And while you're doing that, like and comment and share on whatever feed, wherever you're watching. Someone probably needs some hope. They need to get their stuff back. And so go ahead and share this stream, share this feed, however you can, wherever you're watching. Do that for us because it will bring hope and encouragement to someone else. But 1 Samuel chapter 30. So what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 30? Well, so, so Israel was, uh, was essentially led by judges. Um, and then they decided they wanted a king because every other nation had a king. Every other nation. And it sounds like a conversation you have with your kids. Like, well, everybody else is doing it. And, and so God said, you don't want a king. And, the, and God was like, I, I'm your king. And they're like, no, we need a king. And so they cry out. And finally, God says, okay, Samuel, who was the last judge, he said, Samuel, anoint Saul. Saul becomes king. Um, the writer of Hebrews infers that he was king for 40 years. Um, but during his reign as king, he actually disobeys the command of the Lord. And so God rejects him as king. And then um, God raises up David to be king. And, and, and God says, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. I want you to anoint David as king. He was just a teenager. He was a shepherd. Um, and some of you, most of you know the story of David. And so David is anointed king, and, and, but he doesn't become king right away. In fact, it's going to be 15, 16 years probably before he actually becomes king. And, and then when he's king, he's king of uh, Judah, and then he's not king of Israel for another seven and a half years. And, and so there's a, a progression there. But but, God, but, but Samuel anoints David as king, and then David, we know, kills Goliath. He ends up serving in the house of Saul. He ends up being one of Saul's military leaders. And then David is, is such an incredible warrior that the people start singing praises of David more than praises of Saul, saying Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul's an insecure leader. He gets mad at David, and eventually he, he decides he's going to kill David. And, and so David goes, come on, somebody, like a, like a man on the run. So he goes on the run, and we don't know how long he's on the run exactly. We know it's several years and eventually David takes refuge. He leaves Israel, goes across the western border into Philistia, and, and he actually lives in the land of the Philistines, if you will, in the Philistine territory, kind of on the southwestern border of Israel and Philistia in a town called Ziklag, in a town called Ziklag. And he asked um, the, the, the king the king of Philistia, if he can have this town for he and his men. And at the time, he was actually fighting with the Philistines. He's actually fighting with the Philistines. And so the king says, yes, and gives him this town. It's a year and four months that David and his men actually live in Ziklag. And, and what gives us the first thing of 30, David had gone to fight with the Philistines, but now they're going to fight Israel. 
And, and the king is like, I think David is with us, but the commanders are like, no, he's going to turn on us and kill us because he's a Hebrew. And so the king says, look, you can't fight with us today, so you got to take your men and you got to go home. And David is coming home to Ziklag. And at Ziklag, when he, when he, when, when, you can just see it. He gets to Ziklag and the town has been burned. I'm sure he saw the smoke coming up before he got there. So we're going to jump in the text today. First Samuel chapter 30. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. You need to understand this about the Amalekites. They were ruthless warriors. Um, the Philistines or the Philistines would actually attack you strength to strength. They were iron forgers. And so they would, when you see the battle where David kills Goliath, you see the Philistine army on one side and the Israeli army on the other side. And so they would attack that way. The Malachites were like robbers and raiders. And they would come when you least expected. They were very good at exposing your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses. And then they were ruthless. And so when it says they took captive the women, that was not a display of mercy. It says they took them captive because they probably, when they found healthy people, young people, they would take them captive and sell them into slavery. And so, so this is not, they're, they're, they're mercenaries. They're not merciful, right? And so, so they had overcome it, burned it with fire. Somebody say, up in smoke. Taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. There we go again, up in smoke. And their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Sometimes, probably some of you know what that feels like. I know I know what it feels like. It's, it, it, things have gone up in smoke so badly. Things have been burned so badly that you actually, the grief wears you out. And that's exactly what happened to them. And David's two wives had also been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow, of, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. That's leadership right there. When it goes bad, kill the leader. Right? Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David, a oh, key verse, you've heard this one. But David strengthened himself. And the Lord is God. And David said to Abathar the priest and Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this man? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, God said, for you will surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So I like some versions say you will recover all. You will recover all. And we know he did. You will recover all. And, and verse 9, so David set out, and 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor. And when those who were left behind stayed, but David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. And then you can go on and read the rest of the story of how they end up in victory, and David recovers everything that was taken and then some. Um, but I'm going to stop right there. We're going to dive into this text together. And, and I have a title today. Um, I have a good title. It's a fun title. 
I don't want you to be offended by the title, but I needed because of, of, of what I feel. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to spiritually justify this, but I am. Because of what I felt on the inside of me, the tenacity, um, the, the aggressive, um, righteous aggression, maybe we would call it. So I decided to call this message Kicking Ashes. <laughs> Kicking Ashes. Come on, somebody. Kicking Ashes. And so let us pray together. Father, thank you so much for the word of God that is life. God, the word of God that is hope. The word of God that heals. You said you sent your word and healed them. God, we thank you for your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, you would anoint us today to hear, to understand, to perceive. And God, that you would transform and change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Kicking ashes. I really wanted to call it kicking ashes and taking names, but I felt like that would be offensive to somebody. So we're just going to call it kicking ashes. And here's what I thought. Here's, here's how I got to that title, just so you know I'm not trying to just be... Um, irreverent. Um, but, but we talked in this series about Job and we talked about how Job sat in his ashes. He owned his ashes. And what we said is, is sometimes when, when everything burns down, you, you don't need to live in denial. You need to just sit in the ashes. You need to accept what has happened. And then when you own your ashes, then you can trade your ashes and God will give you beauty for ashes. But you cannot trade ashes you do not own. And we talked about that. But when I read this text, when I read this text, I saw David sit in the ashes of Ziklag. And I saw he and his men weep until they could not weep anymore. And then I saw David encourage himself in the Lord, strengthen himself in the Lord. And I saw him ask God, what do you want me to do? What should I do now? And, and David got a word from God. And I think David is walking around now and is like, he sat and then he got up and he said, okay, God, I've sat in my ashes. I've owned the ashes. I accept this is the reality of my present situation. But then David said, I don't have to stay here. That grief is not a destination. And so it is healing to grieve. God has given us grief. God will grieve with those who, who mourn. But grief is not a destination. It's just part of the journey. And I saw David get up and I saw him just kicking through the ashes. Like, God, what are we going to do with this now? And David says, bring the ephod. I'm going to inquire of God. There's a time to own your ashes. There's a time to sit in your ashes. And there's a time to get up and kick the ashes off your feet and say, okay, now we move forward. Today, we go forward with God. And that's what I saw. And so we want to talk about kicking ashes today. And so I actually have four points. So we're going to move so quickly. <laughs> four points. You can write these down. You can put them in the chat as we go the first thing that I saw in the text when we're talking about kicking ashes and kicking them off your feet and moving forward with God, I think that before you can move forward, here's the first thing. You have to stop the fall. 
Because when you can just imagine, just imagine the calamity. David is, is coming back with his men. And before they even get to Ziklag, they see smoke billowing out of exactly where they know they're going. And they're like, this can't be good. And I imagine they sped up the horses. They're like, we got to go faster. Something has gone wrong. And then just imagine the shock, right? The shock of it. The truth is, when we suffer loss, the most devastating part of suffering loss is typically when you suffer loss, you didn't see it coming. And that's kind of what Ziklag is. Ziklag is that place where David was being faithful to fight over here. And while he was fighting over here, the enemy snuck in over here. And isn't that exactly what the enemy does? When you are trying to fight the battles that you are called to and fight the battles you are created for, the enemy has a way of sneaking in the back door and setting fire to your life. And something starts burning before you even realize he got in another way. And that's exactly what's happening. And when that happens, the emotional free fall starts. And can't you just imagine David be like, God, you know, I'm trying to be faithful. God, I was just doing all that I knew to do every way that I knew to do it. And God, now, now I come back. I thought you had my back. And I come back and I've lost everything. And the emotional free fall starts. And it says they wept until they could not weep any more. Look at that emotional free fall. And the first thing that I have to do is I have to stop that fall. I've got to stop the spin. I used to fly airplanes and, and they would teach us if you got an airplane into a spin, they're like the first thing you have to do you can't really worry about all the other things. So, so navigation kind of goes out the window, even to some degree altitude. Some of, some of the things that you know go out the window. Some of the things you typically worry about go out the window. They're like, because you can't fly a plane that's spinning. So you have to stop the spin. And you have to stop the fall. And once you stop the spin and you stop the fall, then we can navigate. Then we can, then we can look at all the other data and figure out what we have to work with. But, but fuel doesn't matter if I'm falling. Fuel doesn't matter if I'm spinning, right? And so, so you got to stop. And I looked at verse 30, verse, uh, sorry, 30, verse 6, chapter 30, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was, it says David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him. They were bitter because of their sons and daughters had been taken and then it says this famous verse, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. If there is a skill that you need to learn, it's this one. Because there are going to be Ziklag moments. There are going to be moments when things go up in smoke. And if there is a skill that you can acquire, it is this skill where it says David strengthen himself. Listen, I am all about relationships. We're all about life groups and you need your tribe and you need your people and you need your support. But it is an unrealistic expectation for you to place on other people for them to somehow stop the free fall of your emotional state. The, the truth of the matter is you can't make someone else responsible for your emotion. 
You can't make someone else responsible for your fall. Like they can support you. They can encourage you. I think that's, that's wonderful. And you need those people around you and you don't need to do life without people, but there is a skill that you need to inquire where you know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord, where you know how to stop your own emotional free, where you know how to get control of your own thoughts. It's unrealistic to expect everyone all the time to be able to stabilize what's going on inside of you. And it says David strengthened himself in the Lord. One version says he encouraged himself in the Lord. When you break the word encourage apart, it's encourage. It literally means to put courage in. Think about the skill that David had where it said David knew how to put courage in himself. You talk about a skill. I mean, it's one thing to have people encourage you. It's another thing to have God encourage you. But this says David had a skill set where he could put courage in himself. And I think then, then we need to ask, well, how did he do that? Well, I can, I can tell you how he did it. I can tell you because here's, here's the skill. I can tell you how he did it. Number one, David knew who his source was. He knew what his source was and he knew who his source was and you have to know your source. This is what David said, Psalm 61 verse two. He said, from the ends of the earth, I will call to you. Look, look at what he says. I will call as my heart grows faint. Then he said this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is what David, David knew who his source was and he said, when everything's shaken, there's this big rock. I can call on God and I can find stability. And, and here's, you know what I think David's, the secret to was? Not just knowing your source, predetermining your source. You need to know the source that you're going to before Ziklag is ever burned. Like, like you need to decide today, if you're one of those people today and you're like, man, everything's just going so good, Pastor. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I like won the lottery or something crazy like that. Just things are so, so good. That's wonderful. But have you predetermined your source in the event of something going up in smoke? David pre predetermined. In other words, they, you, you can't say, like, like we, we run to a lot of sources and, and David's like, well, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go to the wine I'm not going to go to a drug. I'm not going to go to, to sex. I'm not going to go to porn. Like David had predetermined, I'll run to the rock that's higher than I. And when Ziklag happened, David's like, I know who the source is. I know how to find stability. I've got to go to the rock that is greater than me. Listen, you need something bigger than you. You need something bigger than you. And a lot of times we run to things that are smaller than us. Like appeal is smaller than us. Alcohol is smaller than us. Bad relationships, smaller than us. Sex, smaller than us. We have a way. <laughs> Cookies, smaller than us. There's only so much Oreos can do somebody. Even if you put peanut butter on them and you serve them with milk. They're just limited. You need to know the rock that's bigger. So you need to know your source, but get this, not just knowing your source. Here's the secret of David. David knew how to draw from the source. It's one thing to know where the well is. It's another thing to have a bucket, right? 
And David knew not only who his source was, but he knew how to draw. Look at what he says, Psalm 63, verse one through five. It says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in this dry and parched land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift my hands. Look at verse five. And I will be satisfied as with the richest foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Here's what, here's what David knew. He said, worship is my bucket and God is my well. That's what he said. He's like, worship is my bucket and God is my well. And, 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 and in the presence of God, now I think this, I got all that. So, so I know my source. I know how to draw my source. And then I get into the presence of God. And what are the two things I think David did in the presence of God where he put courage in himself? Let me tell you. I think number one, he relived past victories. Listen, this is what you have to do when you're sitting in the ashes. You have to relive past victories. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate, think on all your mighty deeds. Listen, when you're sitting in ashes and you want to think it's all over and you want to do the woe is me and that's human and we all do that, you've got to stop the fall. You've got to say, God is my rock. You've got to say, he is my well. You've got to go to worship and get the bucket of worship to get the water, get the source of God flowing in your life. And when you get in the presence of God, you need to say, God, remind me of all the good stuff you've done. Remind me of all the wins. Remind me again of how you're with me. Remind me again about all the victories. You have to relive past victories and then, and then you have to revive present promises. Revive present promises. Psalm 119, 49. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Verse 50. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. So here we are. God is my well, worships my bucket. And when I draw that bucket out, that water that I'm drawing out is helping me to revive past victories, relive past victories and revive present promises. So I got to stop the fall. Here's the second thing. You got to find your footing. You got to find a footing. You got to stop the fall. And if we're going to, if, if we're going to kick those ashes off, we got to get a footing. We got to have something to stand on. First Samuel 30 verse eight, it says, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue? David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue? Will I overtake? And God said, pursue, you will overtake, you will recover. Here's what I've found. Trust me. Here's what I've found. You've got to stop the fall but then you need a word from God. You need a word from God. A word from God has a way of overcoming fear and overcoming emotion because a, a word from God is living. A word from God is powerful. A word from God brings faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. A word of God brings certainty in uncertain times. It brings stability when everything seems unstable. 
A word from God is what you need. And David said, I need a word. So David stops the fall through worship. And then he says, okay, I'm not falling anymore, but I need a word from God. Because when I know what God says, then I know what God will do. But here's, here's the real kicker with David. This is so good. When I know what God says, I know what I'm supposed to do. See, this is how we start moving forward again. I, I need to know, I need to know what I'm, I'm supposed to do. Because it, it's true. Listen, listen. Ooh, this is so good. If you can get this, if you, you can understand why I said get your footing, right? Because you're falling and now I need a footing. And the footing has to do with what I'm supposed to do, not what I'm asking God to do. And so many times when, when Ziklag burns and, and we're in ashes, we will pray and, and we will pray I don't mean it in a bad way, but trust somebody that's been there. We start usually with the wrong prayers. God, why did this happen? And God, will you please do something? And I think, number one, God wants to do something. I also think God, many times we talked about in this series, he won't answer the question why, because God's going to keep us in faith. And so you can pray why all you want. He usually doesn't answer it. But, but then you can say, God, please help me. But one of the ways that God helps you is he tells you what to do. And so many times we will sit and we will wait for God to do something when truthfully, God wants to tell us what to do. David didn't ask for deliverance. He asked for a directive. God, what, what do I do? And, and listen, when I have a word from God that tells me what to do, it has brought me back into an area of faith. It has brought me back into a place of responsibility. It has given me a directive. It has given me something to do. And when I start moving, I'm no longer a victim. I start moving towards victory. When I'm sitting here, God, why? And won't you do something? And somebody needs to fix this. And God sends somebody to fix it or God, you fix it. I'm still in the place of being a victim. But when I say, God, what do you want, to, want me to do? And God says, go this way. All of a sudden, I've got something to put my foot down on and said, okay, God has given me a directive, a directive and I'm not going to sit in ashes and grieve anymore. I needed to do that. But if I stay too long, I'm just being a victim. Now I've got to move on towards victory. I've got to kick some ashes. <laughs> See, the truth is, this is so good. The truth is, the battle does belong to the Lord, but you still got to show up. And I think too many times, listen, I love the story of Jehoshaphat. I love the story of Gideon and all those stories in the Bible where God goes before them and God sends ambushes and God fights the battle. And he tells Jehoshaphat, you're not going to need to fight. Notice he said, you're not going to need to fight, but he didn't say you don't need to go. So, so we need to understand the principle that, yes, God's going to fight the battle, but he's going to fight the battle when we show up for it. That he doesn't fight the battles we don't show up for. And if we just sit back and zigzag in the ashes, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. I understand that's tempting. And for a while that can feel good and therapeutic. But there comes a time when you're like, God, what do I need to do to get out of zigzag? Because I've got to show up so you can show out. 
And I love, I love it. We sing those songs, fight my battles, and, and, and I'm going to see a victory. We, we, but, but the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, even though God will fight it, you still got to show up for it. And I think some people, can I just be honest? I think some people have never recovered, not because God wouldn't fight, but because they never showed up. They never showed up. They didn't show up. In, in their business or they didn't show up in their family or they didn't show up in this situation or that situation. And because they couldn't show up, God, God didn't fight. I mean, God's going to give victory. He already said, David, you're going to win, but David, you got to go. And so you got to find your footing. Here, here's the second thing. Third thing. I'm sorry. Third thing. You got to use what you have. You got to use what you have. See, when we suffer loss, <laughs> Like, I feel like Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man, Jenny. But when we suffer loss, that means we have less. Right? So when you suffer loss, whatever it is, if it's a relationship, if it's a business, if it's finances, if it's health, whatever it is, when you suffer loss, you now have less. And, and, and a lot of times when we have less, we begin to focus more on what we lost than what we have. Look at this. Verse, verse 10, 1 Samuel 30. So David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. So think about David. Now, there again, I'm pretty good with numbers. If you have 600 men and 200 don't go with you, you now have 400 men. Now, they did that math in the text. But based on my understanding of percentages, that means your fighting power is now down 33%. He lost a third of his army. Still going to fight some of the most ruthless warriors. Didn't change what he was up against. Just changed what he had to work with. And wouldn't it have been easy for David in that moment to say, golly, God, come on, can you help a brother out? Like, they burned everything. I lost everything. And now I'm going to fight. And now a third of my army's worn out. And now I've got to go fight this army with 60 66% of what I thought I was going to have. And the truth is, when we suffer loss, because we've lost something, we have less. And many times we stay focused on what we lost instead of looking at what we have. And the truth is, sometimes sometimes part of what you lost, you needed to lose. <laughs> like, sometimes there are things and people who have been with you up until a certain point but they can't go with you any farther. And it's not being mean, it just is what it is. Sometimes you have unhealthy relationships and you have things going on in your life and, and for a season they were with you and then they can't go. Sometimes in this situation, it wasn't even bad people. It wasn't even bad relationships. It was people that were too tired to go any farther. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, I think what David knew is I could make these men go into battle. But if I go into battle with people too exhausted to fight, 
I'll think someone has my back who can't have my back. And it would be better for me to go into battle with the people I know can fight than to try to drag someone with me who, who it isn't for them to go with me in this season. And the truth of the matter is that, that sometimes we focus on what we don't have, but sometimes we actually, part of what we don't have could be somewhat of a blessing in that sometimes we need to leave some things behind in order to move forward. Sometimes we need to leave some relationships behind in order to move forward. Sometimes they're, they're not going to get any better. They're unhealthy. Sometimes it's just people that just can't go with us the rest of the way. Sometimes we need to leave some attitudes. Like we need to stop at Basor and, and offload some attitude because sometimes when Ziklag happens, there's a couple of attitudes I can think of. Number one, there's some bitterness. Why did this happen to me? This isn't fair. This isn't right. And you can't go into battle with bitterness. So, sometimes, sometimes there's some entitlement. I deserve my stuff. I deserve better. And you can't go into battle with entitlement. So sometimes there's some attitudes that have to stop. Sometimes there's some mindsets that have to be left at the brook bazaar. Right? Because I can't go into victory if I think I'm a victim. I can't get a positive outcome if I got a lot of negative thinking. And so if I'm sitting here, woe is me and I'll never have and it will never work out and God doesn't love me and God's not for me and everybody's against me and, and I can't win and nothing I do ever works and I was trying to be faithful and the enemy just took from me and took from me and took from me. You can't go win victory if your mentality is that of a victim. And so maybe some relationships, maybe some people... Maybe some attitudes, maybe, maybe, maybe some mindsets need to stay at the, at the brook. See, God will sometimes remove things. It's so good. <laughs> I know what I'm going to say. It's like it's good. So that's why I laugh like that. God sometimes will remove things because they were in the way. And God sometimes will remove things because you trusted in them too much. Like sometimes there's some stuff in the way. It just can't go. My mindset can't go. This attitude can't go. This person just can't go. They're in the way. But sometimes he removes things because we trusted in them too much. And, and, and we'll get so reliant on our strength or our creativity or our gift or our leadership or so reliant on the people that we have. That God says, I'm not going to let those people go with you into this next season. Nothing wrong with them. But I need you to trust me more than you trust them. And so God will actually move people. Do you know the greatest enemy to God's all-sufficiency is our self-sufficiency? And when we get self-sufficient, we're no longer relying on God's all-sufficiency. And here's, here's what the truth of it is. Listen to me. I, I wish you could get this. I had to get this. I wish you could get this. Whoa. I wish you could get this. Even God wants you to get this. That's why the microphone's about to electrocute me. Listen. You don't need what you don't have. Because the enemy will tell you, in order to win, you need what you don't have. He's going to keep you focused on what you don't have. 
But here's the truth. Here's the truth. It's so good. You don't need what you don't have. Your victory is not contingent upon what you don't possess. God is not, he's wanting you to show up, but he's not expecting you to show up with something you don't have. Oh, do you you hear what I'm saying? Like it, it doesn't, listen, listen, you have everything you need to win. I thought about this phrase and I thought, pack you a sack lunch. Because I thought about the boy with the two fish and the five loaves. It's not enough to feed a multitude of people. It's not enough in any way. What you have isn't enough in and of you. But what you have put in the hands of Jesus is always more than enough. Pack you a sack lunch of two fish and five loaves and go feed the multitudes. Put it in Jesus' hands. He'll feed the multitudes and take up doggy bags, right, for everybody to take home with them. What you have is never going to be enough, but it is enough, not because it's in your hands, but it's in God's hands. Ow! (laughs) You have enough. You don't need what you lost to win. Here's the last thing. Oh, this is so good. Last thing, number four, number four, write it down. Put it in the chat. However you do that, write it down. Number four, know what you're after. (laughs) Here's what David said. Verse 10, he said, God, should I go? And God said, you should go. And then verse 10, it says, but David pursued David pursued. That word seems to infer a specific course of action, a specific goal, a specific direction. And and I would argue that, that for you to move forward with God, you need to allow God to give you some specific, specific, whatever, specific Someone got an interpretation. They thought I was speaking in tongues. Yes, Lord. Bless them. But you need a specific direction. You need a specific goal. And unfortunately, so many times we decide we're going to move forward, but we don't decide the direction or the goal. Like, like, let me give you a personal example. So with what I walked through, I remember sitting with my counselor and I made some, I made three goals. And the first goal was, Marty, you need to get as healthy as you can get. The second goal was, you need to take care of your kids and be the best dad that you can be. And the third goal is, you need to get back to leading your church. You need to get back to what God called you to do. You need to get back to your destiny. And that was my three goals. And so anything that did not work with those three goals, I didn't have time for. So if I was out walking the dog, it's because I was trying to get healthy. If I was taking the kids to do something fun, it's because I was trying to be a good dad. If I was attending, just attending the worship service here at Pathways, because I had a path to get back to what God had called me to do. I had a specific. And sometimes what happens is we don't have alignment between our direction and our decisions. And we'll say, this is the direction or this is the goal. And then we make decisions that actually move us this way. I'll give you a fun example. We'll say every January that I need to lose 20 pounds. But then we don't join a gym, we don't change our diet, and we keep eating chocolate chip cookies. 
And if, if your directive, if your direction, if your goal is to be down 20 pounds, you can't get there with chocolate chip cookie dough. And I know because it's my favorite thing in the world, cookie dough. I know everybody says, don't eat the cookie dough. It's got raw eggs. Got I've been eating raw cookie dough for like 30 years, 40 years. We'll go with 30. That sounds better, but truthfully... I'm not that young. But anyways, the point is, the point is, you, you can't say I'm going this way and then make these, you can't say I'm going to see restoration in this relationship and then be starting other new relationships over here. You can't say that I'm going to get spiritually healthy and this is my direction and then make a, a bunch of terrible decisions and, and, and not be in a life group and, and not be giving yourself to the word of God and to prayer and, and not be in worship experience. You see, these things, these things, we don't have alignment, but between our direction and our decision. And David had alignment between the direction and the decision. That was why he was successful. He didn't just say, I'm getting out of the ashes. He said, I'm going to get that stuff right there back. That's where I'm going to get that back. And so David had the alignment to go after what he lost. And that's and this is what I'm telling you. If you're ready to kick some ashes off your feet and move forward with God, you've got to line up. Up your direction and your decisions. Your decisions have to support your direction. Now, now listen, this is where it gets so good because this is the part, all of that you may have heard preached before. Probably not, but, um, but you may have. But this is, this is good right here. Because David goes and, and, and he stops the fall and he finds his footing. He uses what he has. And then, and then he goes after what he knows he's supposed to go after. And God gives him victory, right? He, he, God gives him victory. He actually is so cool. If you read verse 18, it says, David got everything back. And then it even clarifies small and great. He got everything back. All the people, everything that was taken. And then not only that, not only that, it says he plundered them in that he took their livestock. And it was known as the plunder of David. Actually, had a, it was enough plunder, they had to title it. Now, I just want to pause right here to say, you know, Proverbs says, if the thief is found, he has to restore sevenfold. I just, I just need to tell you this. Some of you are going to set out to get your stuff back, and you're going to end up with more than you ever had. Like when, when you set out to get your stuff back, like Job, God's going to give you double for your trouble. That's an awesome story. I mean, you could imagine David coming back to Ziklag. I'm sure there were tambourines and trumpets and, and, and whatever they had. And here's the parade of all the families and the kids and the wives and, and everybody's happy and they're singing and dancing and, and they're ready to celebrate and they come back to Ziklag and for the rest of the story, you would have to transition and jump over to Second Samuel chapter one because you find out David is in Ziklag for two days. And on the third day, a man shows up, but a Malachite. And he has with him the crown of Saul and the bracelet of Saul. Oh, it's so good. David 
See, his destiny wasn't just to get his family back. His destiny was to be king. But in a Ziklag season, in a Ziklag season, sometimes we forget that our destiny hasn't been changed. Because we're just trying to survive. And, and we get so focused on just trying to recover what we've lost, we forget sometimes what we're actually called to. See, Ziklag is a season. It's a year and four months in David's life. This whole raid, you know, is just a few days from start to finish, from losing everything to getting everything back. Just a few days. But David comes triumphantly back with all of his stuff and all of his family and all the kids and all the people. He comes back. And they're probably celebrating for two days. And on the third day, on the third day, the crown comes to him. His destiny came to him. He was destined to be king. Listen, when you are faithful in the Ziklag seasons, God turns the greatest pile of ashes into the the biggest pictures of beauty. Because while you thought you were just trying to survive, you went to fight the battle you could fight. And all the while, God was fighting the battle you couldn't fight. You were just trying to survive. And God's like, no, you're going to thrive. You weren't thinking about your destiny and you didn't realize in being faithful in the dark season of Ziklag, which seems to have no bearing on the crown whatsoever. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with David's destiny. It wasn't a fight God called him to. It was a fight the enemy provoked him to. And the enemy said, I'm going to take you out before the crown comes to you. I'm going to leave you bitter and broken in your ashes. I'm going to make you forget what God called you to. I'm going to attack you where you're most vulnerable, where you're not covered. And I'm going to steal and I'm going to rob and I'm going to pillage. And I'm going to leave you so destitute and so so downtrodden. so discouraged and so broken you'll never get the crown and David pursued and he got his stuff back and the whole time he was pursuing what the enemy took from him the crown was on its way back to him because his destiny wasn't done with it wasn't over God had not forgotten his promise God had not forgotten that he anointed David king God had not forgotten what he called him to and I want to remind somebody today you may be sitting in ashes and you may feel broken and hurt and discouraged but I want to remind you you still have a crown and if you'll get up and you'll fight the battle that God has given you to fight your destiny will actually move towards you you don't have to go get your destiny you be faithful in the Ziklag season and the crown will come to Ziklag Come on, somebody. Faithfulness in the Ziklag season will bring the fruitfulness of your calling and destiny. The crown will come to you.
it's time to kick those ashes and recover everything. Why don't you stand? If you're here at home, you can stand. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you so much, God, that you haven't forgotten any promise. God, you haven't forgotten anything you said. God, that you're with us. And if you're with us, who can be against us? And God, today I want people to hear this, that God, they could be in a Ziklag season and everything could have gone up in smoke, but God, if they will be faithful in this season, you'll actually move their destiny closer to them. It may not seem connected, but God, with you, every battle we fight is a battle for our destiny. And so God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Listen, with our heads bowed, if you're watching online today, I just want to speak to anyone who may be watching that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if you're out there and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to have a relationship with Jesus. And um, I'm not asking if you're a member of a church or ever sung a song or ever prayed a prayer. Those are wonderful, wonderful things. I'm talking about, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And you know what it is. Does, does he talk to you? Do you talk to him? Do you spend time with him? He spends time with you. you you're learning and you're following the ways of Jesus. That's, that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking if you're a religious person. I'm asking if you're a related person. And you say, I don't know. I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. If you're uncertain about your relationship with Jesus, that may be a good indication that you really need a relationship with Jesus. It is something you need to be certain about. And right now, if you're uncertain, you may even feel just something in your heart saying, yeah, that's what I need. And so I want to pray with you wherever you're at, watching online, if that's you. You say, I need a relationship with Jesus. It's just a prayer confessing and, and calling out to God. That's all it is, where you just say, God, I, I believe. Use your words, but pray, pray this kind of prayer. God, I believe in you, and I believe in your son, Jesus. And I believe he died and rose again. And he did that for me. And I ask you to forgive me where I've done wrong, to cleanse me where I've been dirty, and to make me a new person. And God, I just pray as they pray that prayer, as they pray that prayer, God, you'd change their lives. You'd transform them. God, that they would sense your presence. God, I pray for all of our church today, for anyone who watches, God, who, who may, have, may have been or is in a Ziklag season. God, let them see. Let them see that while we do need to sit in our ashes, we need to own those ashes. We need to accept that Ziklag has been burned. God, we can also kick those ashes off our feet and we can go and recover everything that you have ever promised. And God, that a Ziklag season in no way signals the end of our calling or our destiny. But God, we are still called. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God, you will bring us through the ashes with no smell of smoke. And God, we thank you today for that, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.